Hello, my name is Sabrina, and I'm going to be reading from 1 John chapter 2, um, verses 12 to 14. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Thanks, Sabrina. Good morning. And good morning to those of you who are watching on, uh, on this live stream. How many of you have ever felt overwhelmed? <laughs> and the rest of you are liars? <laughs> if you know anything about me, um, one of the things that I've um, discovered in the last year and a half is disc golf. Now those of you who think it's just throwing a frisbee, you're wrong. It's an incredibly good exercise, it's good fun. I go out early in the mornings, I can, it's accessible to me and numbers of other people who can't run. Um, it's accessible because my boys generally will play it with me. Um, it's accessible because almost anybody can play the game. But I wanna get better. And one of the things I have loved is going with my family at different times and they gave me, they give you discs, it's free, you know, you don't have to go and pay a big green fee or anything. We have a beautiful course called Raptors Knoll, uh, just over in Aldergrove on 272nd. I'm there often. In the last year and a half, I've played 323 rounds. If I only pray that much. <laughs> I do pray, Lord, help my disc to go in the basket. And Lord... This, my, my kids introduced me to this disc here. It's my putter. It says, no mad. I'm not allowed to get mad. No mad, okay? Anyways, one of my sons, Justin, is really, really good at this game and the fact he's playing in a tournament this weekend. And, and so he comes with me and he's my coach. Dad, you need, you need to get better, okay? Okay, so we're going to work on your putting today, Okay. So first thing you need to do is you need to get your feet nice and straight, baskets over there, okay, get your feet, get comfortable, and then don't move. Okay, good. And then after I don't move, okay, so now what I need you to do is I need you to grip the, the disc really good, nice and relaxed, put your finger here, put your hand straight, kind of get it like that, no, like that, no, like that, okay. And then pretend you have a stick coming out of your belly button. And point that stick right at the basket. Okay, good. Now, what I also want you to do, Dad, is don't bend your arm too much. And by the way, uh, you're putting with the wrong disc. So grab your other disc. Oh, and my feet are stuck already. Okay, so we're doing that. And then what I want you to also do is I want you to get your eye on one chain of the basket. Okay, just one chain, all right? And ready? And, and I still didn't do it right. I was overwhelmed. So Justin would stop finally and he'd say, Dad, you're doing good. Maybe just concentrate on just one thing. Just one thing. So I've tried to do that, and my scores still are iffy. But in any case, I'll just put that over there so that I don't... Um, yeah, it looked pretty good, didn't it? It was nowhere near the basket, but it was good. Just focus on one thing. You see, as a first-hand witness, 
of the life and teaching of Jesus, John doesn't mince words in 1 John. We've been going through that study if you've been with us. Some pretty blunt stuff. John is writing to a a church that's in a challenging time. There's people leaving, there's controversy, there's all kinds of challenges. And John has decided to speak out. He's declaring, there are false teachers among you, deceivers. He even calls them antichrists. Wow, okay. You leave our church, we're going to call you antichrists? Well, there must be some reason for that. Don't listen to these people. And here are some tests that you can look at to be able to say this is what it would be if you're truly following Jesus. Here are some scriptures. It's pretty black and white. 1 John 1, verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Well, John, yeah, I feel like sometimes I walk in darkness though because I'm struggling sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. Does that mean I'm not saved? Chapter 1, verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. But, but, but Jesus, John, uh, I, I don't catch every sin either. Whoever says, verse, chapter 2, verse 4, whoever says, I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. I don't always do what he commands. 2, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister... It's still in the darkness. Uh, I can think of a few people that just rub me the wrong way. I'm sorry. So just that list, the standard is so high. God, am I, am I, do I measure up? I'm overwhelmed because there's just so much stuff. So especially if you're somebody who's sincerely seeking to follow Jesus and John's message, you can be overwhelmed. And so John, I think, has paused right here at chapter 2, verse 12 to 14. Let me clarify. Why do I think that? Biblical scholar John Stott says it this way. John does not intend to give his readers the impression that he thinks they are in darkness or that he doubts the reality of their Christian faith. It is the false teacher's who he regards as spurious. So he digresses to tell them his view of their Christian standing. His purpose in writing is as much to confirm the right assurance of genuine Christians as to rob the counterfeit of their false assurance. What he's saying, you are in the new age, all right, and are enjoying the forgiveness, the knowledge of God, and the power to overcome, which which has been prophesied of the new covenant. It's like he's saying, okay, everybody, pause, Let me clarify. And in so doing, he addresses three different groups of people. Children, fathers, and young men. And he gives each of these three groups of people just one thing to focus on. So they're not overwhelmed. So first of all, let me clarify with three housekeeping items. Number one, there is discussion among different scholars and teachers whether or not John is addressing people by their physical age or by their spiritual maturity. And in some ways, I suppose it could be both. But for the purposes of our study today, I'm approaching this as John addressing these groups according to their spiritual maturity. So some of you might be in this room today, and you might be in your 70s. But you might be part of the children's group. Because maybe you don't have a long track record of knowing Jesus, or it's brand new to you. Some of you might be in your 20s and 30s but you've walked with Jesus a long time and there's a spiritual maturity that's well above 
what you thought you might have at that age. Some people would call that an old soul or someone who's pursued God. But the key is we're looking at spiritual maturity in these references. Secondly, I want to be assure you that John is not addressing men only here. There's a long conversation around that, but what he is writing applies to both men and women in the church. So please hear that. And then thirdly, why the repetition? Well, I think in order to be able to illustrate that, I need to talk about those of us who are parents. You ever find yourself with your kids, and it's scolding time. You know, little Johnny, I've told you many, many times, when you get the peanut butter out, you don't stick the peanut butter in the jar, the knife in the jar, and then put the knife in the jam, and then back in the jar, and back in the jam. I've told you that. Now, do you understand? Remember, don't, and if I've told you once, little Johnny, I've told you a thousand times. And little Johnny's sitting back there going, yes, I know, Dad, you've told me a thousand times today. Repetition helps with emphasis. And so when I think about why John would write this two different times in this little two, three verses, it's because he's trying to emphasize his main points. So with those things in mind, let's take a look at our three groups. First of all, the group is children. And what does he say to them? Trust your advocate. I'm, willing, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. So who are, who are the children in the group? Well, those that are new to the faith. They lack depth of understanding, but they have a fresh experience of God's forgiveness and the newness of beginning to understand what it means to be a child of God. They understand what John wrote in in the Gospel of John where it says, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They're just starting to discover that. It's awesome. But it's like a toddler learning how to walk. We have little Milo. He's nine months old almost. And Milo wants to go everywhere. He dances, stands at the side of his crib and dances. Yesterday I saw a video of him. Looks like he's changing a tire. He's just standing at the tire looking at it. But he looks like he's changing the tire. Milo wants to walk in the worst way. And once Milo starts walking, look out. But the reality is, once Milo starts walking, it's only the beginning of the danger zone. Because he's going to crank his head on stuff. He's going to fall down. Sometimes he stands at the side of his little playpen, and he all of a sudden goes like this. And down he goes. But that's part of being a child, is the learning, the failing, the growing. And like a toddler, like a new believer, Christians, sometimes we are going to make a lot of mistakes. There's going to be times when we're going to be overwhelmed by John's blunt assessment of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what those tests are that help us know whether we're in it or not. There's going to be times when we're going to say, oh man, I just don't measure up. And what is the response from this passage? You're right. You don't. That's why we need to trust the advocate. 14 verses previous, John writes these foundational verses. 
in chapter one, verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then he continues on in chapter two, one, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's the goal. If you're a toddler, the goal is not to fall down. But, there's that word again, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. As we get into the rest of 1 John, please come back to this passage over and over and over and over again. Because the rest of 1 John may make us feel overwhelmed. But it's a beautiful thing to know that the Father has someone standing before him in the person of Jesus Christ who's paid the price for our sins, who says, paid in full. I like to go to Camp Stillwood. We heard about the men's weekend last weekend. And and about 2019, they offered me an opportunity to be a part of, of leading some stuff at the camp. I don't like heights. I don't mind the idea of falling. It's the sudden stop at the end that I don't really like. So they have a high ropes course. One, two, three levels. There's obstacles. You, you get up there and you climb along these, these kind of, you know, cables and you have logs and you have slats of wood and you just try and do all this stuff without falling and breaking your head. But they don't let you go up there unless you have a harness and a tether. And that tether gets hooked on to that nice long cable, safety cable. It's really well tested. It's, it can handle my weight and a whole bunch more. But for the first little while when I was up there, I was like, oh, oh, oh. I'm grabbing onto the tether. Grabbing onto the tether. But as time goes on, all of a sudden I found myself going, oh, I forgot that I had a tether on. No, this is great. And, and yes, I would fall, yeah, but the tether was always there to catch me. To the point where when we were doing the zip line, I could stand up there 40 feet, 50 feet up, whatever it was, and feel confident that if I did slip, I wasn't going down. What we're seeing in this is John is saying, let these words, let God as your advocate, Jesus as your advocate, be your tether as you stumble along and get better and as you grow when you read the rest of 1 John, when your enemy whispers or sometimes screams in your ear, you don't measure up. Focus on this one thing. We have an advocate with the Father. Please, children, trust your advocate. He is the one that's faithful. He is the one that's just And he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bible teacher David Guzik, he puts it this way. God's forgiveness does not come by degrees. Even the youngest Christian is completely forgiven. They will never be more forgiven. Forgiveness is God's gift, not man's achievement. So then failures, shortcomings, confession, correction are not something to be feared, but rather confession and correction are friends. 
And you've probably heard me say that a lot because I usually say it every time I get to preach. But it's because I believe we need to know the beauty of confession. And when I come to that place, it's a beautiful place for me to once again learn about the deep, deep, lavish mercy and grace of God. One little side note. I've talked a lot about toddlers, but the reality is in this passage of 1 John all the way through, there's probably seven times where the the phrase dear children is applied to the people and John says, I'm writing this to you, dear children. So I honestly don't think it's just for toddlers. I think it's for all of us, especially if you've grown up in the church. Because if you've grown up in the church, you probably have wrestled with, do I do enough? Because obviously sometimes we've taught that it's about works, even though we've not intended to. So focus on this one thing. Trust your advocate. Second group, fathers. Revisit your altars. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And in case you didn't miss or you missed it, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. John, are you stuttering? Did you just cut and paste? What happened there? Well, again, I think it's for emphasis. It's an interesting phrase. You have known God from the beginning. Where else does that phrase seem to pop up in John's writings? Well, John 1.12, we read it before, in the beginning was the word, pardon me, 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's the God that John's talking about. 1 John 1.1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. It even has echoes of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. And then at the end of scriptures, Revelation 22, 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is the God that John is saying you fathers have known. This is the God that you have a long track record with a long track record of following this immutable, never-changing God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Fathers, those of you who have spiritual maturity, you have history with this God. You've seen his hand at work. You've walked with him. Your faith is is a ripened faith, as one author put it. Because you can point to the moments you've seen his fingerprints. You've experienced his blessings and you've experienced the times that he's also had to carry you and comfort you. You have altars to revisit. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, when people wanted to commemorate an encounter with God, they would build an altar. It usually represented a person's desire to consecrate or commit themselves fully to God. It's like they were saying, God, you've worked in my life in such a powerful way that I want to create something tangible to remember it. In the Old Testament, it happened a lot. Abraham, Isaac, David, Jacob, Gideon, all of them are recorded having built altars at significant times in their lives to remember the God who met them in those places, the God who was from the beginning. Joshua is one example. He led the people across the Jordan River into the Promised Land 
After that, he was instructed the people to build an altar. Joshua 4. So the Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When the Ark crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorable, a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Seasoned ones, let me call you that. Can I invite you and encourage you to revisit your altars? Revisit those places where you've encountered God in a powerful way over your lifetime. It's funny that this stage has been changed. I feel like you're, a couple more of you are now in the splash zone. 32 years ago on June 29th, I stood somewhere where I don't even know where it is on this stage anymore, and I dedicated my life to the marriage that, as my wife walked down the door, through the door here. That's one example of where I've seen God at work. But there's lots. So right here, I'm standing on what used to be an altar. Thanks a lot for taking it away from me. But it's still here. Seasoned ones, steady yourself in the never-changing God that you have encountered over the years. Revisit the moments of challenge and wrestling. Revisit the moments of victory. Revisit your shortcomings and your experiences of God's grace. Recall what God has done in your life. And here's this, and, and please hear this rightly. Those of you who have gone a long time in life and walked with Jesus, pray that God keeps you sweet. When I was 25, I could never understand, even here, why the people in their 50s were so grumpy. Now I know. I live in pain sometimes. I look at these young whippersnappers and I go, ha, ah, you guys never walked to school 15 miles and you never walked in the snow this high uphill the whole way. You know the drill. Lord, keep us sweet. There are lots of things that if we really asked God about, we'd probably say, God, I wish this was different. I wish this was different. I wish this was different. But when we go back to the altars, we can put those grumpies onto the altar and say, Lord, I give you those things. Help me to remember the things that I have seen you do. Where your hands and fingerprints are all over it. One of the things I love about last weekend, when we went on the men's retreat, there was about 70 of us guys there. <clears throat> But I saw again the beauty of what I'm thinking about. Because you know what? I'm asking those of you who are seasoned, please revisit your altars. But tell the rest of us. I saw men doing all kinds of stuff together. We divided guys up into groups of seven or eight, and then we played games together, and we did different things together. I remember watching guys in their 70s sitting on a chair 
head in the sky like this, Oreo cookie on their forehead, and trying to get that Oreo cookie down into their mouth. Unbelievably fun. Not all of them succeeded, but they all tried. Some of them did better than the young bucks. I remember one comment somebody said to me, I said, man, we were doing this one thing where we had to screw a screw into a, 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 a piece of board. Man, our, the, the seniors in our group, they were rock stars. Because they know how to use a screwdriver. We just know how to use a drill. <laughs> Experience. But it wasn't just the playing. By the way, only two guys fell from over five feet, so that's okay. But... But we also prayed together. We studied scripture together. Guys had chances to do all sorts of interaction, which they never would have done unless they go to this men's weekend. But one of the things I really loved was talking to some people and going, you know what, that Harold Clausen dude, called him dude, he's in his 70s. I don't, maybe he didn't call him dude, I just added that for fun. But he said, that guy, he came and invited me over to play games. This is somebody who's in their 20s. And we had a really good time together. He's cool. Seasoned people, we need to hear your stories. I feel like we waste those stories. I, I've done, can I say, 100 funerals in my lifetime? And what I love and I hate at the same time is looking at the pictures and the stories of the people and going, we needed to hear that sooner. Beautiful stories of what God has done. But we needed to hear it sooner. So, fathers and mothers, you know him who is from the beginning. We need you to take us, I need to take you, younger guys, to our altars. Please, do it intentionally because it will not happen. It will not happen unless it's intentionally done. And if we can help you somehow to connect, I mean, I don't know how it always works because, yeah, there's ageism and, yeah, there's like we got busy lives and all that stuff. But one of the things that really blessed me, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday who said, you know what, one of the gentlemen, the elderly gentleman from our church invited me to go for coffee yesterday. That's a great start. Get involved in a three and four with people that aren't your age. But it has to be Intentional. It's a huge honor when somebody does this, and, and this is the other part. Young men and women, please hear me now, because there's a lot of you here. Can you go and ask if you can go and see those altars too? Don't wait to be invited. I had somebody come up to me three months ago, said, you know what, I'm looking for somebody to mentor me. I'm like, I don't know what a mentoring situation means to you, but this is what it looks like to me. It means we're going to mutually mentor each other. So we meet every second Tuesday morning. No, Wednesday morning. i got to get it right, otherwise I'll miss it. But it's beautiful because I can share some of my stuff, but I hear from this other guy, and it's like life-giving. I think it's as God wants us to because we've known this God from the beginning we need to share each other's altars. So go out of your way to seek out people who have walked with Jesus a little longer than you have. Enough of that. Young men, last group, consume the breakfast of champions. 
1 John 2, verse 13, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. 2.14, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. Because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So there's lots here. John is encouraging them. These are the facts that he's bringing to their attention. You have overcome the evil one. In the heat of the battle of everyday life, the unchanging God is demonstrating his power in your life. And because of that, you are victorious. It's not like you're doing a really good job and somehow you're keeping yourself pure. God is at work in you. And the result is you have overcome the evil one. It's his work in us. But I want to encourage you. You are strong. By the power of God's Holy Spirit, you have overcome the evil one. Again, it's about what God does through us, but it's also when we position ourselves to be in that place where God can work. So there's the established, finished work of God, and then there's the ongoing day-to-day work of God in our lives that we partner with him on. But what if I don't feel like I'm winning every day? That's me. Back to where we were in point one. We have an advocate. Say it. Say it in your head over and over again. We have an advocate. Right? And so that's what gives us hope in the midst of, I don't feel like I measure up. But Lyndon, okay, okay, all that's great, but what is the one thing? Give me the one thing I can focus on. Consume the, bre- the breakfast of champions. <clears throat> my mom's dad, my grandpa, we called him Guido. Ukrainian grandpa, Mitro Shurstan, a legend. We were fortunate enough as kids to grow up in Edmonton close to my grandma and grandpa from my mom's side. Grandpa was one of those legendary guys who thrifted before thrifting was cool. He would go into the back of Woodward's department store dumpster and he would dive in and get all this nice cool junk And then he would build us go-karts. He'd call us over, hey guys, look what I found. And we had go-karts made out of all kinds of stuff. We just never got one with a motor. I kind of figured out, couldn't figure out why that one didn't work. But he had a very distinct smell. You know how smells bring you back, right? Grandpa had this smell. One day when I was older, I discovered what it was. Garlic. <laughs> My grandpa loved kubasa. Kubasa is like garlic sausage. Okay? It's awesome. And it makes you stink. And we would, whether day or night, we'd come in early, late. Grandpa would meet us at the door with a big slab of kubasa. Much to my mother's horror. Because we would smell like Grandpa. But we didn't know. And then we discovered that there was more to it. We grew up in a home, you know, where Grandpa had a fridge downstairs. Hmm. My brother and I one day, what's in this fridge? Oh, what's that bottle in there? Hmm. Medicinal whiskey. Oh, okay. What's my point? 
Garlic and medicinal whiskey dwelled in him richly. <laughs> it just oozed out of his pores. Because he was consuming it regularly. And it simply became part of him. A part of him that I was very fond of, even though now if I smell that smell, I probably would... He was strong, and his strength of odor was due to the fact that garlic and whiskey lived in him. Key phrase in our passage to the young men, the word of God lives or abides in you. It brings to mind Psalm 119. Psalm 119 verse 9 to 11 says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to his word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, somehow the word of God living in them richly was part of what gave them the strength to overcome. And it's not simply knowing a lot about the Bible. And I, and I want to be careful here Because one of the dangers of going to Bible college and being a pastor or being somebody that knows a lot about the Bible is that the Bible becomes a textbook for writing papers, sermons, preparing Bible studies. But the reality is the Bible is there to help us to seek to know God through the Bible. It's one little phrase in Psalm 119.10, I seek you with all my heart. I don't seek knowledge for the sake of knowledge. I seek you through what you've given. And folks, I'm going to be honest with you here. As one of your pastors, this is not an area where I feel super victorious. The odor probably isn't as strong as I would like it to be when it comes to getting the word of God into me. Because honestly, I can sort of walk with what I knew. what I learned in Bible college. But to spend those moments where you go, Lord, I just want to know you through what this passage says. How does that help us? How does the the word of God living in us richly help us? Well, just a few things here. If we consume the breakfast of champions consistently, it's there when it's needed. It acts as a resource that the Holy Spirit can use to speak to us. It acts as an encourager in times of challenge. It acts as a defense in times of temptation. That's what Jesus did. When he was tempted, he gave back the word of God. It acts as a filter when you're listening for guidance from the Holy Spirit. He can say, does what I'm hearing or sensing line up with the word of God? The God, the immutable God God that I have heard from the beginning and known from the beginning. I want to put a little plug in here for Doreen Bueller's memorization tools. If you go on our church website, you go to www.centralheights.ca slash Bible, there's a little thing there that encourages us in, our, in how to memorize scripture. Those of us who are in the everyday fight, when we fill our hearts with scripture, when the word of God lives in us, when we consume the breakfast of champions, we have more at our disposal for victory. Yes, God has done the ultimate work of victory, but in the day-to-day, 
We have that. So let me stop there. <clears throat> We're going to ask the um, prayer teams to come forward. Prayer teams, you know who you are. And they're willing to pray for you. And I've tried to give you three simple things to focus on. Pick one. Trust your advocate. Revisit your altars. Consume the breakfast of champions. And so what we're going to simply do is prayer teams are going to be up here. If you want to come and get prayed for related to one of those areas where you feel like you need victory in or you need growth in or you want to, you want to just simply say, I want to move forward on that, come. Be prayed for. Or if there's something else that you want to be prayed for, we're not limiting it to that. But what a great opportunity we have, again, even here, to build an altar. Today can be a place where you build an altar. From this day forward, Lord, I want you to help me grow in this direction. And remember this day. Lord, why don't you lead us?